It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW. We're available, of course, anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I am Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including the Beer Bible. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Patrick. And it is morning, man, at least for one of us. <laughs> Jeff's... Uh... Jeff's taking one for the team here because uh, we are re- we are transcontinental, baby. Yeah, uh, we're recording this. I'm in I'm in coastal Maine, in Penobscot Bay, uh, and Jeff is in Portland, Oregon, at Studio Central. That's right. And I'm since we're on Zoom doing this, I am actually able to look into a small window into uh, the Maine wood woodlands behind Patrick, which are. Uh, mostly deciduous trees there you is there do you have like it's a mix you got you got some white pine somewhere a lot of pines too yeah it's all it's about 50 50 um nice. here on our on our property the pines uh, want to always want to take over but uh yeah we, we have to manage our woods um we had my uh, my uh, the story of the the story of the month in the the big emerson family is uh my 80 year old um uncle uh, not uncle, sorry, cousin, uh, who um, likes to manage trees and is very much and uh, uh, does it for aesthetic reasons as well. And he found this really gnarled branch that displeased him. And so he climbed up on a 25-foot ladder and cut the thing down. And when it hit the ground, it bounced back at him. Poor, poor technique, he admits now. But he, ha- he, he was by himself. He got knocked off and fell 20 feet, down, but luckily down to the forest, soft forest floor. Wow, uh, but but uh, did himself some damage. I can laugh because he's fine now. He's back home recovering. But he broke a, he broke his neck. He broke Ooh. five ribs. Ooh. Yeah, that's a that's serious. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's a he's um, uh, like many in my family, he has uh, a very strong uh, self reliant streak and um, stubbornness. So he will be up there. I'm sure again cutting trees at twenty feet. <laughs> Yeah, is he a New Englander? Is he? Uh, he's yeah, 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 uh, yeah. New Englanders are flinty, uh, so I'm sure this is just a day, a day in the life. Yeah, he is the the one basically permanent resident on this. Um, well, he and his wife are the one permanent resident on our property. They have a, a house they stay in year round now, so he's kind of the um, the Lorax of our. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> he speaks for our trees and and cuts them and so anyway that's uh so that's the exciting the exciting news from um from uh our property here in here in maine i just uh uh got out of the sea which we were just discussing pre-pod is um eerily warm normally it's very very cold right. you can stand to be in it for maybe five minutes tops um unless you're my wife and then you're in it for like an hour but uh but this year it's it's got to be at least 10 degrees warmer than it than i can ever remember um which is delightful swimming right but uh also kind of scary yeah yeah the implications of that are are definitely disturbing so we're having I, the, the weird thing is so i'm here in oregon and in your absence we've had a very normal period of weather uh normal and historic terms so uh, it's been perfect portland's weather has usually been perfect you know 80 degrees in the the day down into the mid 50s at night so uh you know it just feels really pleasant 
um, yeah. watching, I'm watching all the reports of the world burning and it's going to be the hot. I know. I think the, the far Northwest corner and the far Northeast corner are doing pretty well. Uh, it was, uh, pretty crummy weather when we first got here, but after a few days it cleared up and now it's pretty, what I would say, very typical summer, July weather here in, uh, in Maine, but, uh, um, but yeah, other than the little, little Northeast and Northwest corners, the, uh, the United States is basically an oven. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably in part of that oven. So I'm thinking of you uh, if you're not in one of our little cool corners. Yep. Uh, our advice, light, light, uh, light loggers, man. Go for your Hellas. <laughs> Find right. a nice Pilsner. Find a nice Pilsner. Cut down the air, alcohol. Lots of air liquids. Conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you have air conditioning, drink whatever you want. But. That's right. Um, so, uh, because we have this unusual transcontinental edition of the Birvana show, uh, we thought it might be fun to compare and contrast our sort of vacation destinations. I like the smart one of the duo, uh, have been in Maine for a couple of weeks. I got to leave tomorrow, by the way, that's sad. Um, this is our last full day here. Uh, but Jeff, uh, curiously, and we'll find out why took a trip to Oklahoma. Yeah, baby. Not in the heat (laughs) in the heat. Uh, but we both did our best to visit some breweries, drink some beer, and we'll give you our full report soon. Uh, all that soon, but first let's get to the news. We have just one item this week, but it's a biggie. On July 12th, Sapporo made a sudden announcement that it was shuttering San Francisco's Anchor Brewing. Anchor, which had, I know. Anchor, which had been brewing steam beer since 1896, was an early inspiration for brewers who had gone to launch the first new microbreweries in Northern California. Sapporo reported that Anchor sales had dwindled to 600 barrels a month and that the brewery was losing millions annually. If you'd like to hear more about uh, Anchor's gigantic legacy, you can listen to our discussion back in show 170, and that's when we did one of our making of the classics of uh, Anchor Steam. Oh, look at you doing your research and looking it up. No, no, baby. <laughs> I think that's Flag maybe the first time guy. we've actually called out our specific episode more than just, oh, go look. You'll find it somewhere <laughs> back there. You know, in a recent one, I guessed at random, uh, and I guessed <laughs> and it was right. I, I checked it out, and I guessed right. So there you go. Nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So I have a, we, we, we talked about this. We talked about their, their um, rebranding. And I kind of have a theory of, of rebranding. Uh, there are two types of rebranding. One is sort of the anchor type, an old brewery that's been around for a while. The sales are kind of dwindling. They, they want something new and fresh. They think this is going to help, help their beer move off the shelves. And uh, so they do something like anchor, I'm thinking of other um, uh, brands that have done the same thing. Um, Full Sail, I remember, did a big rebrand that was a little earlier on. But uh, so that's the one type. And that sort of, I, I always get nervous when that happens. Uh, and then there's another type, which is kind of the, the early branding of the brewery often isn't super well thought out or maybe not very uh, coherent because they're not really sort of thinking about growing and building a, a brand. And so then there's kind of that, that early rebranding that basically just kind of tightens everything up and creates a, a central brand of focus. And that is sort of usually a kind of a, a good, a good moment for a brewery, <laughs> but, but the anchor rebrand uh, really scared me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, we and we talked about that when it happened. Uh, you actually, I think, had some insight into what they probably should have done. And of course, you can never <laughs> run a counterfactual, but it doesn't. Uh, I think I think it was I, I, more and more. I think that it was probably uh, a smart. It would have been a smarter move than what they did um, uh, in in terms of trying to reach a national audience. They went for a, a really generic approach. Um, and your idea was not a generic approach. You remember what you said? Uh, well, my idea was to lean heavily into San Francisco and uh, really focus on being the San Francisco beer. And um, I was thinking a lot about uh, um, uh, why I'm, I'm blanking here. Oh, Kona. Sorry. I was thinking a lot about brands like Kona or other places that are very place specific and um, and sort of lean into that heavily. Not only did Anchor have a, a place, this historic brewery in San Francisco, but also was an historic beer and style. And I really thought that they should have leaned into that, you know, leaned into the tourist trade, you know, really tried to uh, do that. I was scoffed at by other beer industry folks, but, you know, whether that would have made a big difference, it kind of seems like no. <laughs> right. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it is hard. Hard. I, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, I think as, as you alluded to, by the time they were doing the rebrand, things were probably already really bad. And so it's, it's hard to say anything could have really reversed the declines at that point. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the common theme, I think with a lot of these legacy breweries is they had a, a beer they were known for that it was popular and, um, uh, and they really leaned into it and then they never sort of, um, were able to evolve. I'm not, I, uh, even if they wanted to, it's very hard uh, to evolve past it. And I've, we've just talked to so many breweries that have that sort of difficulty. And we, we already mentioned just very recently in the pod, some breweries that have been able to pivot from one beer to another, like from Fat Tire to Voodoo Ranger for New Belgium. And then you know, there's other breweries that just have such a great, it's such a great beer to begin with. It never kind of gets old, like the, the pale ale of Sierra Nevada. So um, steam beer was a, a beer that is not a modern beer and doesn't uh so either you had to um aggressively try to pivot it, you, i could imagine maybe trying to come up with like steam ipas and steam pails and steam other things maybe but i don't know right yeah again it's, it such, a, it's such a hard thing yeah it would have been interesting to see um I, it is it is funny how the brewery was known to most people as anchor steam they thought that was the name of the brewery not uh, yep. a brewery name and a beer name which is um possible uh indication that you might be onto something but yeah it's what it's what drive me it drove me nuts with the rebrand and that's why i can't shut up about it which <laughs> is like they they're so, they're so iconic and they have such an iconic beer and, and not just a beer but a style and to be able to sort of create that as something special and unique and really push that is um uh seemed to be the, the best thing to do especially since you know san francisco is just awash with tourists and just the tourist trade alone you'd think they could have made a big, big push on that, but. Right. Yeah. There's, that, a, there's an, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm going to say that there's another brewery that's basically done that now. Um, I think they might even be located in Ghirardelli square somewhere there near, near Fisherman's Wharf. And so they're really kind of um, trying to play up the whole San Francisco stuff and focus on the tourist trade and stuff. <clears throat> if there's one thing that's curious about all of this, it's that uh, they announced they were, pulling back national distribution about a month before they announced that they were closing it. 
which is weird. It seems like they must have already known things were super dire. So I'm surprised they didn't. I, I w- it would have been interesting to be a, a fly on the wall to hear why they decided to pull back national distribution and announce that. Um, you know, it, I think it, it su- suggests that may, maybe they were thinking of trying to stick with the brand and then, you know, decided not to after a certain point. I don't know. It was interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I, I agree. That is interesting. You'd think that they could have come up with a couple of branded beers that they just brew everywhere. And mm. um, you, th- you think that the brand was strong enough to support that because yeah. it's sort of well known everywhere. I would think maybe nowadays it's just not well known anymore. Maybe we're just old, Jeff. That's true. That could be that could be the case. We know what old <laughs> people know. We don't know what other younger people know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, a ton of market research. I'm sure that's gone on. Ton of branding and uh, branding identity research that's gone on. So they probably know a lot more than we do. But right. But we have that super special intuition. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we. I'm sure <laughs> we all been. <laughs> you know, we can use using our wits and our wiles. We can figure out what the young folks want, right? Like we we can figure that out. I'm telling you, Steam IPA is what they want. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Steam slushy sour. Steam slushy sour. <laughs> can you imagine everything Steam? Yeah, that would be awesome. See, there you go. Breweries, <laughs> big success. I wonder why people don't do it. All right. Well, maybe we should move away. I just can't. This is this one hurts more than I think any other. Yeah, as ever. It's just uh, it's been around since I was a toddler. Anchor Steam was the first craft beer I ever drank. And, yeah, I, I I assume most people read my blog if they listen to this. But if if you don't, I talked about uh, what I what I thought the importance of the brewery was and how this I think marks a kind of end point of uh, one era of brewing um, because mm-hmm. so many of the breweries. Uh, of the first American craft brewery started on the West Coast, and almost all of them checked down to see what Fritz was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was the one example that allowed them l- little breweries to envision what it would be like to be a brewer, uh, to understand how you could source ingredients at the right scale, um, and you know, really, it it did a lot of the kind of proof of concept that created craft brewing. Um, so uh, I think now that it has died uh, and craft brewing is in such a different place than it was when it started. I, I feel like we've, we really, we, we probably should never talk about craft beer anymore. It's just all beer at this point. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Where you know, there's so much extraordinary wealth in the Bay area. There's gotta be some tech bazillionaire that wants a vanity project. Come on. Right. Buy the brewery, buy the brand. Come on. Put a bunch of money into it. You can yeah, call come it on, Elon. X. Yeah, we'll call it Brewery X. <laughs> there it is. Done. <laughs> Sold. Uh, X Steam. Steam X. <laughs> hey, Steam X is not bad. Steam X. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get on to the Twitter. No, not Twitter. We'll get on to the X and uh, uh, and um, exit. <laughs> I don't even know what it's supposed to call it. All right. No. Uh, so, Jeff, you went to Oklahoma. I did. Is the place to be? Da, 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 da. Yeah, I looked. I looked up some lyrics and worked them into a, a a blog post, and I don't think anybody picked up on it. Or if they did, oh. they were embarrassed. So I haven't, I haven't read. It. By the way, I just uh, have to point this out um, because this is a visual medium. Uh, you're wearing your your uh, your boneyard shirt. I've been wearing mine around here as well. So boneyard's been well represented all over the world. 
<laughs> Very nice. Yeah, it's true. Uh, these these are this shirt functions as sort of my jammies, which I'm still in because it's crazy early <laughs> here on the West Coast. Yeah, we never actually kind of circled back to that. I um I forced Jeff to get to to get going super early. It's eight a.m. Well, it was eight a.m. when we started uh, Portland time, um, and allegedly eleven a.m. for me. I've already been out for a paddle and a and a, and a swim. So Jeff, thank you, thank you for yeah. for accommodating me and my um and my schedule. Yeah. So tell me, let's uh let's let's hear about Oklahoma. Uh, uh, tell us the genesis of your trip. So there were two uh, homebrew groups in Oklahoma, one in Tulsa and one in Stillwater. Uh, mm-hmm. So Tulsa, Stillwater, and Oklahoma City form a kind of triangle. Uh, mm-hmm. where Tulsa and Oklahoma are uh, Oklahoma City are on the hypotenuse and uh, <laughs> Stillwater is kind of up in the corner um, and they invited if you me. use your Pythagorean theorem you can find them that's right <laughs> you can navigate from one to the other uh, the uh, so they these homebrew groups uh, got together and flew me out to give a talk uh, and sign some nice. books and while I was there, uh, my friend Franz Hofer, uh, who is a guy who reached out to me before my last European trip, because he spends half the year in Vienna teaching. He's a professor mm-hmm. of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was in Vienna and he saw that I was going to come to Vienna. And so he reached out and said, hey, do you want to hang out? And uh, we became friends. And so while I was there, Franz did a remarkable job of uh, putting together a four town tour uh, of Oklahoma breweries. I was there three full days and we went to 11 breweries. Um, and most of those, we met the brewer and talked and saw the brewery itself. Um, so I, I got a pretty immense uh, kind of quick education uh, about Oklahoma beer, which was very cool. I love to do that. I love to parachute in and, um, you know, get in a deep immersion and, and, learn something kind of broad uh, about a, a place and every place is slightly different beer is a part of culture so um mm-hmm. you know the way the way it plays out is always unique to a place um even if even if when you walk in a tap room looks like a tap room and there's ipas on tap um there are definitely distinctions and we'll we can maybe talk about oklahoma uh in a minute i'll let you introduce maine um but uh oklahoma definitely has some weird stuff going on <laughs> so uh, that'll be fun to talk about and and actually it intersects with with your your world uh the economic world um reg- it's regulatory and economic so it's interesting mm. so you were supposed to and i'm curious to see how much you did uh do your own brewery touring uh so how did that go yeah i did i'll just be clear that i did mine just solely as a punter so i don't have like any deep insight into into the main beer scene because i didn't um talk to anyone um at any uh length but uh i did all right uh so um hit up the my fave the main beer company and um uh and freeport i'm not sure actually it's technically freeport or is it uh, technically freeport yeah i think it is freeport um freeport main just up the coast from uh, uh portland a short ways um i was able to uh uh um uh, visit oxbow brewing in newcastle nice uh which um they have three places but newcastle's their their farmhouse their they they brew farmhouse beer in a farmhouse 
in a barn, uh, in a lovely spot in rural Maine. Um, and I went there on a delightful day. So that was, that was pretty cool. And flight deck brewing in, um, in Brunswick, because we were in Brunswick visiting an old colleague of mine from Oregon state, who's now at Bowdoin college. Yeah. Uh, and then I was able to sample a few, um, a few other beers. I didn't get to Bissell Brothers, but I got some of their beer. I didn't get to, I meant this is the one, the one place I didn't get to that I meant to. Will Romy, our producer, was um, a great help guide. He set me up um, uh, with a good list. And one of them lists was uh, called Sacred and Profane, which we talked about before. Um, you have some better background on that as well. I wasn't able to make it to their brew because it was a little bit far, but I was able to sample their beer. Uh, and then there's a place close to me um, called uh, Fogtown uh, from Ellsworth, Maine, um, and I sampled some of their beer as well. All right. So that was my big, my big, my big main beer tour. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll hear. I guess we'll go back and forth, and we'll we'll hear what you learned uh, at at those places. We can compare and contrast. Compare and contrast, indeed. <laughs> uh, so I should mention a little bit about Oklahoma because it's a really interesting place um until uh 20 so apparently this was a I didn't learn this on my trip but I saw a reference to this which was on the internet and who knows maybe it was written by chat GPT so I don't know but um <laughs> uh apparently Oklahoma had uh but it's plausible Oklahoma uh, according to what I wrote I uh, read Oklahoma's prohibition lasted until 1952 um and it, it is definitely mm -hmm. a state that ha was not alcohol friendly uh, because until uh, 20, the election of 2016, the, they had this bizarre law that if you wanted to sell refrigerated beer in a grocery store, uh, <laughs> it had to be 4% uh, or below. Mm -hmm. uh, many Americans know about 3-2 beer. So this is mm -hmm. the famous 3-2 beer, but it's 3-2 by weight. Um, so it's a weird old artifact of the way we used to measure alcohol, uh, but mm -hmm. it's actually by our standards, 4%. So the only beer you could have in a grocery store was 4% or lower beer. If you wanted yeah. to sell stronger beer, you could sell it in a liquor store. But this is the weird thing. It could not, by law, it could not be refrigerated. Uh, and so, of course, all of this had a really negative effect on- Really bizarre. Beer. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Um, so there were breweries, but you know, there, it, this had a big inhibition effect. Um, that law mm -hmm. was changed in 2016. It was implemented by 2018. And then there has been a pretty big explosion of breweries, uh, since then, um, which, which is not atypical for the country, but I think, uh, changing those laws really allowed Oklahoma to step into the 21st century. And, you know, yeah. now you can have regular breweries and sell your beer at grocery stores and, yeah and refrigerate it which is nice can you imagine <laughs> selling your especially when you're in oklahoma yeah exactly sending your sending your nice uh six and a half percent ipa off to the liquor store where it just sits on a shelf uh not good yeah yeah oh, that's very interesting yeah. um so i'm i'm you know my my assumption is that a lot of sort of uh light loggers is the um uh what you find in, in oklahoma but um, everybody loves an IPA. So what's, uh, what's the beer culture like there? Yeah. Uh, so I assume that the, you know, the, it, because of these laws, I assume that if you look at the craft beer penetration, uh, in terms of volume sold, that it is probably more 
tilted towards domestic light lager than than other states because they yeah. caught up. Uh, and and I I suspect to your point, it is a hot state. When I was there, they're going through one of the one of those heat snaps that we've been reading about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that even if you're a craft beer drinker, uh, you know, on a day when it's night in the mid 90s and above uh, 65% humidity, which is what it was the first day I was there. Uh, you know, a light beer probably looks pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. It would be refreshing without uh, being heavy. So uh, I assume that's all true. But when you condense it down to the smaller uh, world of breweries and what they're making, lagers are not that popular. And it was really hmm. surprising to me. We actually ended up going to a couple of lager breweries. Uh, and one was called the Big Friendly. Um, and that is in Oklahoma City, and they make uh, wonderful small beers. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, they were can, they, at the last GABF, they got the award for best brewery for uh, the tiny size, for size like up to 500 barrels or something, because it's just a, a little a little brewery. Um, and I don't think they really even distribute it all. Um, but they, they make great lagers. And there was a, another brewery in Tulsa uh, called Heirloom. Uh, are heirloom rustic ales, uh, which the name is slightly misleading um, because then they really have more loggers there too. So the, you, you do see those, but when you go into a tap room, uh, a normal mm-hmm. tap room, loggers are not common. You may see none at all. And um, yeah, IPAs are more so, deep. So here's a thought. I don't know. I'll just get your take on this, which is um, when a craft beer scene is sort of evolving, um, where there hasn't been one before, it seems like one of the things you do as a brewer is really uh, you need to sort of distinct, distinguish yourself as different from the mass market light lagers that people are used to drinking. And so they're leaning into the hop forward IPA, for example, which is you know sort of the American classic now, uh, seems to be how you'd start. And then after a while, once that craft beer culture uh, evolves, then people can start appreciating sort of the more subtle differences between a craft Pilsner, for example, and a Budweiser. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. So I think there's two uh, for a small brewery. If you're starting a small brewery and you're entering the small brewery industry, uh, mm-hmm. you have two markets to think of. You have uh, the, the the person who drinks mass market lagers that you're trying to lure in. Yeah. You also have uh, this, this more uh, enthusiastic culture that already is sold on your beer. And this is kind of the culture that I got introduced to when I was there. And it mm-hmm. reminded me of the early 1990s in Oregon when the there were a bunch of people who were homebrewers, uh, who were really kind of big beer enthusiasts, and they would show up to events and they would gather in breweries and they were a tight community. Um, that's what I felt in Oklahoma. Like all the breweries seemed to have connections to other breweries. They might've worked there. They were trained at other breweries. They um there there was uh, the big friendly in fact um were, was allowed to brew on the pilot system at coop mm. which is a big older brewery 15,000 barrel brewery in oklahoma city and mm. use their ingredients while they were developing their own products uh to open their own brewery this is the kind of thing you don't, you don't normally hear about um so it's a very integrated tight community and it was nice to hang out with with uh, franz his wife rebecca and their friends um, mm-hmm. as we went from town to town and, you know, um, 
it, it's really fun and not cynical. Everybody's super excited about beer. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. So, so that group is, you know, if you're appealing to that group, um, then you have to, uh, really service their interests, uh, you know, their, their nerdy geeky interests as well. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that's, I think that's really neat about the, the early nascent beer scene. Well, even mature beer scenes is how much it's a, um, uh, community there is around around beer and um, a lot of experimentation a lot of sharing of ideas and a lot of uh, um, experimentation among the the consumers as well and um, uh, in some senses I kind of missed that a little bit in the Portland beer scene um, everyone's always trying different different beers and you'll find one or two usually on a on a menu that has a bunch of different beers but it's it's not quite the sort of old school just like throw everything on the wall and see what sticks and um uh, uh like it used to be so i don't know uh, yeah don't things know are a little bit <laughs> things are a little bit more siloed in a city where you have mature beer culture and you have so many breweries you know um you don't you don't see everybody all the time whereas yeah uh in in oklahoma i had this experience of you'd walk into a brewery and uh it seems like people would see somebody they know and it was small mm-hmm. and um intimate so it's there's something kind of precious about those early days there's there's something great about being a mature mature uh beer town like portland too has its own advantages and um and virtues but but definitely oh, there's sure. cool stuff of, uh, about this like if you if you were to go to oklahoma uh and visit oklahoma city tulsa or stillwater um you'd find a fun scene which i think maybe is unexpected for people who don't think of oklahoma and beer together yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm not saying this is true of Oklahoma at all, but I just, uh, the, the early days were kind of fun where you'd go and a, a place would have maybe six beers and maybe two of them would have been spectacular failures, you know, but fun, like, right. <laughs> so, so sort of, sort of seeing the whole spectrum uh, now yeah. in Portland, you can't find a bad beer, basically. You have to work really hard to find a bad beer. Well, and we'll, or, we'll a, or a weird one. <laughs> I think I can't talk about all the breweries I, I saw, but uh, at some point I want to talk about Prairie Artisan Ales, which is doing stuff that I can't imagine succeeding in Portland. Um, mm-hmm. But it's uh, just a runaway success in Oklahoma City. So, um, yeah, you're right. There are things that can survive in one place are not necessarily going to be able to survive in another, which gives a, a place a, its own feel. Yeah, I got. Yeah, maybe some sort of finally honing into my mature thought. Uh, rather than the half-baked thought, which is that uh, there's not a lot of room left in Portland for failure, right? Like you won't last um, much at all and you don't have many chances to catch consumers because they've got hundred other choices, literally hundred other choices. Um, and so I think that um, breeds a slight bit of conservatism maybe. And, you know, you, you get really good at one thing and you, and you sort of lean into that. And so it's not quite as this sort of, I don't know, uh, one step, beyond homebrew culture where you've got these craft breweries but they're they're experimenting and they're willing to kind of share with you their their successes and their semi-failures right <laughs> i sort of miss that a little bit I, I i'm sure in the end we're much better off for not having for being able to confidently order any beer and have it pretty excellent yeah there's a phenomenon i think we've probably discussed which you're alluding to which is when you have mature beer culture you have a narrowing of choice um and you know if you go to munich you don't you don't find this explosion of all these different kinds of beers uh you know because it's people drink hellas in munich and um and when you go to any any mature beer place that's kind of what you find and 
if you want to if you want wild diversity you go to places that are just forming because they're trying to figure out what yeah. they'll take and they'll brew everything yeah well speaking of hellas i'll just give a quick shout out because i did take a brief stop in boston on my way out here visiting some family uh, and i had a jack's abbey hellas which i thought was phenomenal and particularly because it's not a traditional munich hellas it's it's decocted and so it's a darker richer uh, uh, Hellas. It's it's still light and it's lovely, but it definitely is much more um, uh, prominent malt, rich malt uh, uh, flavor, and I really really enjoyed it. So just a quick shout out to Jack's Abbey for that one. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Speaking of funny towns with weird cultures, uh, <laughs> Boston is really such an IPA town that um, loggers have had a hard time. But but Jack's Abbey has been banging the drum for loggers for a decade. And and uh, I think finally cracking it open now, there's a little bit more lager culture in, in Boston, which is ironic because of Boston lager. You would expect it to be a lager town, but uh, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, this is going to be sort of a study in contrast because I'll be, kind of be a main beer tour hunter guy. But I'll just say that... Um, by the way, thanks to Will Romy, I uh, I met the the taproom manager at uh, at Main Beer Company, so I'll start there. And uh, I'm trying to remember the last name. His name's Taylor, but I can't remember the last name. Anyway, um, he was a very gracious host to us, uh, and I was able to to test out some um, uh, some Main Beer Beer in situ, which is um, uh, one of my big faves. And I don't know how much it's kind of representative of or set the template for for Main Beer. Didn't wasn't wasn't the first but i really like uh main beer and uh main beers in general i think there's they lean heavily into the new england ipa kind of um uh a range as far as i can tell uh but what um what uh i've found in the, at least the beers that i like in particular up here in maine is they have a nice uh bitter back that makes them a nice balance a nice balanced beer that sometimes down in boston or other parts of new england you get much more sweet sweet um milkshakey beers uh so what uh we've talked about main beer company death so i won't spend too much <laughs> too much time but they just have a real way with hops um a, a beautiful aromatic uh pails and ipas um that are beautifully balanced and they look they look gorgeous and um to me um that uh they'll feature citrus but they'll also almost always have a nice sort of piney um uh uh, note that that to me just speaks Maine. So it's it's um it's the beer that I sort of stock up on when I'm when I come out here to the woods. So I have a question. You you sent me a text. Uh, you were drinking something unusual. One thing about Maine Beer Company is they don't make it. They have historically not made a ton of different kinds of beer styles, uh, mm -hmm. and or even different beers. Um, but yeah. you were I can't remember what it was. You were drinking something weird, and I'm curious. It was, it was a grisette. A grisette, right? It was a grisette, and and Will Romy alerted me to this before I went. He said, "Try it." He said, "Try the grisette. It's fantastic, and it's kind of good." He did because, yeah, you go in there, and that's not not what you expect to see, nor what you expect to um, uh, uh, necessarily be be good. But it was excellent, um, and yeah, totally against type. In fact, I, the 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 bartender had to ask like two or three times to make sure I was ordering what I wanted to order. Because uh, uh, they had a name that had a name for it, which escapes me now. But I just said the grisette, and she was like, "What?" <laughs> so I don't think it's I don't think it's flying off the shelves. I don't know, but um, uh, it was really uh, really accomplished. I thought uh, excellent, an excellent uh, beer. Nice. Well, um, should, should we go back? Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say, to your point, the rest of the beers are all very sort of classic um, main beer company, pales and IPAs. They do have, they do, they do do one lager. Um, I've had that before. Um, I didn't get that at the time, but, uh, um, but it's a little bit of a quirky lager. So, right. And you were, as I recall, was that the first sunny day that you were there? Uh, um, it was, uh, I think the second sunny, but it was a nice, it actually, it was kind of a mixed day. It, it, it spit, spat rain a couple of times as it tends to do in Maine, but it was actually quite nice. And we sat out on their little patio um, and uh, it was really lovely. Cool. Well, um, by the way, their, their operation is, is very, uh, I mean, it's always packed. It's uh, very beautifully put together. All the fit and finish is excellent. Their, their aesthetic is very um, sort of minimalist, but classic and, um, and I heard, and I don't know, I haven't confirmed this, but I heard that they're preparing to um, expand. Ah, good. That means they're not dying, which is always good. Yeah. Oh, and I'll just tell you one other quirk of the main beer company, which is, I, I find very interesting because almost every brewery here has gone to cans and just like in Oregon, um, but main beer company sticks with their 500 milliliter bottles. Nice. Uh, they're like gigantic. We're going to stick with the bottle. Like, they're like gigantic and they that's all you that's all they get and unfortunately and i don't know if this is part parcel of it but my local grocery store here um is not currently carrying them so um Mm -hmm. which is which is hasn't been the case over the last few years so i don't know if that's going to end up hurting them but it doesn't seem like they're struggling for customers right now but but i find it very interesting that they're really sticking with it yeah yeah i mean if 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 retailers shift their cold cases so that they're only able to fit cans in there uh main beer co may have to figure something out so see uh, i think that's exactly what's what's happening at my little local store because it's not a huge store and they have to it doesn't seem like they're they're offering any bottles now the the brewery that i found uh, i think was one of the most interesting breweries is the one i mentioned earlier prairie artisan ales um one of the interesting features about um oklahoma is two of the, the the most important kind of uh, older, although not super old, uh, craft breweries are Prairie Artisan Ales and American Solera. Uh, they were actually started uh, by the same person uh, who who left uh, hmm. Prairie to start American Solera. Um, hmm. But they were really focused on mixed fermentation, uh, saisons, and the whole the whole rustic farmhouse slash Belgian kind of approach. Um, and uh when i got down there i was wondering is this going to be a big feature no uh they did not succeed any more there mm. than they have anywhere else so those mm. breweries have gone in different directions so america american solera is kind of a familiar ipa house now but prairie artisan ales has done this other thing <laughs> it was very weird uh they now have basically two main categories that they service and then there are a few other beers and other styles but of the like 25 30 beers they were offering uh probably 15 were kettle soured flavored beers Mm -hmm. and another eight or ten were a big uh, flavored stouts like pastry stouts um, and mm-hmm. then they had a few other random stuff in there a couple of ipas and uh and other things but they really have now created this total 
expectation that they will, that if you walk in there, you're going to be able to find some really weird uh, flavored beer. And um, they take it very seriously. Their kettle sours are clear as a bell. It's uh, mm -hmm. one thing I don't like about, the, and they're actually kettle soured. They're not made in another uh, way. They're they're brewed properly. They go through lack of fermentation. Um, mm -hmm. And that if you don't do that properly, you get some weird off flavors with lack of fermentation. And yeah. I, I just don't like those. So they get great ferments and then they put all kinds of random weird stuff in it. So some of it's just normal, like fruit, fruit puree. Um, mm -hmm. they had one that was uh, passion fruit and, uh, grape must, which was a very elegant, pretty cool beer. If I were going to go back there, that's probably the beer I'd drink or something like it. Mm -hmm. But then they also put in weird stuff. Like they have a Skittle beer, uh, and they, they actually <laughs> separate the Skittles out and ferment them. They're going to ferment them separately so that you can get like an orange Skittle beer or a grape or blueberry Skittle beer, whatever the blue one is. And. Uh, so that's they do that kind of stuff but they also do other weird experiments with weird ingredients they had the, they took us back to the brewery and showed us the shelf which had stuff like uh um a hot sauce and <laughs> and just the the random stuff they put in their beer so they really try to have a lot of fun uh and of course the tap room was full of young people um and it was it was one nice. of the busiest tap rooms we were in so they're really succeeding with that and this is the brewery that i don't think would succeed in portland yeah 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 uh, did you taste this did you have the skittle beer i did uh the skittle beer was too sweet for me uh, <laughs> go figure was, yeah <laughs> How did we, that happen? We, we we tried a few of their a few of their beers and um the fruit the fruit sours were really in my wheelhouse they're uh they're not smoothie sours they're not mm -hmm. um thick they're uh you know they're they're more like a traditional kettle sour um yeah and uh i think they're pretty well balanced and pretty tasty um but they do they do run a range from kind of this this elegant fruity side to the extremely sweet kind of <laughs> confection yeah, on the side. on the instagram i think you put a picture of the the, the skittles right that's right yeah i did yeah. <laughs> and they'll look like an orange one an orange skittle yep yep that's the one uh well, this um, this might be a good chance to pivot back to Maine, yep. and a, a good moment to mention Oxbow, which yeah. speaking speaking of Maine, like almost all the beers, the lagers seem to be doing pretty well. By the way, on you know part of the, what I do is just sort of scan the store shelves and see what's on offer. You have um, and you have a kind of a interesting beer scene here. You have Allagash, which was like one of the first ones, and Allagash White is still like one of the key beers you find everywhere. Geary's is still around and they're making their um buttery beers <laughs> we've talked about before but um uh, but there are some lagers around but this was oxbow and oxbow is a farmhouse brewery um and they feature uh, uh farmhouse ales and if you go to their brewery in newcastle it's just on a farm uh, or at least it's rural and they've got a barn where they brew and they've got another little room where they have the tap house and they have a big deck on a nice day and a lake and a or a pond i guess and uh, it's just a beautiful 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 place it's off the beaten track but it's well worth going if you're thinking of a main beer it's kind of like a can't miss place um and uh uh as i said mostly what they what they feature is farmhouse ale so they had um um uh i tried everything un uncharacteristically of me because i didn't have a ton of time i 
I did a, a flight of, of tasters, but in this case, I think the tasters aren't quite as um, objectionable. I, I usually like to sit with a full pour. And, right. Uh, uh, so I did actually get a chance to taste all six beers that they had on tap at the time. And, and the first one is their sort of classic farmhouse ale, um, which is excellent. Uh, um, really nice. It, it features American hops. So it's, it's a little bit um, uh, uh, hoppy in a sort of familiar palate. Um, they did one with sea salt and lime, um, reminded me of, uh, of the sea quench, uh, but a, a sort of more refined sea quench, I suppose, but it was really nice on a hot day. Um, they had a wheat ale, which was very, 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 very pale and very pillowy, soft and light. Um, it was only a 4% beer and it was great, a great hot day beer as well. And then they have a very weird lager, um, I didn't care for it, but it's very distinct. <laughs> uh, it's 100% main grown, um, and it is wild. It's a lager, but it's uh, it's 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 crazy interesting. I'll put it that way. Um, uh, I think I'm getting old and conservative, and um, and probably a younger folk would be really more excited about it. It's not. It's it's a good beer. I don't mean to say that. It's just um, got a very interesting palate. What what was unusual but, about it? Uh, it was it was um, a bit heavier. It was very uh, hoppy, um, and uh, I would say it was sort of a cross between a um, a lager and an IPA, um, but not in a not in the way they do it in Oregon, where you sort of it's kind of just like a, a pale ale with with uh, uh, lager yeast and um, uh, and malt. Um, I. I I, I have a hard time sort of describing it. It's just a very different palette. Uh, mm. um, and uh, I felt like there was a slight bit of funk in there, but, um, uh, but I'm not sure if, that's in, if that was intentional or me just getting um, contaminated because I was having a flight of beers. Right. Um, so uh, uh, that to me was like the, the really interesting, interesting one. And then I thought they had two really exceptional ones, which was interesting because these were mixed fermentation farmhouse ales. Uh, one that had mango, mango and one that had citrus. Mm. But I thought they were really, really accomplished, uh, blended beautifully. The, um, the fruit was, was um, uh, uh, beautifully layered in, in a way that, you know, um, uh, was subtle, but very distinct. And I just, I, I really, really impressed, particularly the last one, which was what they call Sun Sun. It was a mixed fermentation farmhouse ale with citrus. I thought that was just really um, pretty extraordinary. Um, uh, but all of them, I mean, every beer was good. Every beer was interesting. Um, and uh, I just had a delightful time because it was such a beautiful afternoon and a beautiful setting. Nice. Yeah, I've actually been to that brewery and I can endorse your comments. It is uh, absolutely beautiful location and the um uh the little tap room so i was also there in the summer and it's beautiful to go outside and i spent the time outside but i bet if you go on cloudy days or inclement days uh you have a nice experience too because they have this rustic little tap room that's kind of like yeah. a, a log cabin kind of feel and uh, it's very cozy and lovely yeah it's a little bit of a longhouse feel because it's sort of long and narrow and yeah uh, i imagine being there in the winter would also be a really cozy space totally yeah yeah it would be fun i'd like to hang out there uh, in the winter maybe someday i'll make it there <laughs> uh right. yeah so that so that um that's uh I, I would say it's sort of out of character for maine but of course you have the whole um allagash tradition as well so um you know maine's kind of a 
uh, a diverse place, even though I think there's definitely a dominant style right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I do think it's characteristic of Maine's rich culture that uh, of all the places on the, in the country that I've tried to maintain uh, the Belgian slash farmhouse, um, you know, interest or popularity among consumers. Maine is one of the only places that has done it. Um, and Oxbow is an example of a brewery, unlike the commons in Portland that can have that identity and still thrive. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And I found their beer fairly widely distributed in Maine as well, which is nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's, they're really, it's not just that they're this little niche uh, tap room that sells 300 barrels and uh, you know, nobody's buying it. They're actually, they're actually moving this, these kinds of unusual beers, which is cool. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, I've talked a little about the big friendly. I'm just going to um, expand a tiny bit. And then I want to talk about IPAs after that. Um, big friendly is uh, a, a brother, two brothers. Um, uh, Will and Joe Quinlan founded it. It's not that old. Um, and they had a beer that you would have loved mm -hmm. uh, called Loy's Lager. It was a 3.5% leicht beer or light nice. beer. And those beers are really hard to pull off because they almost always have a hollow spot in the middle. You know, yep. it's like you can taste the, you can taste the low alcohol. And, yep. um, uh, you know, that's usually a little bit like, ah, it's okay. It's fresh. It's crisp. But then you you hit that hollow spot and you feel like, ah, if this were just a little stronger. I'd, I'd like the flavor would be a little bit more robust. Yeah. This beer did not have that. It had appreciable malt character, which for a 3.5% beer is hard to, uh, you know, hard to pull off. Uh, yeah. It had a wonderfully tangy herbal hopping. And that's also mm -hmm. hard to pull off because you can often over hop them. Uh, and it, it absolutely didn't have the hollow spot. So it drank like a 4.8% lager. That was one of the most impressive beers I had on my trip. And uh, I wanted to give them a shout out. Um, they do lagers and, and small beers and, and do, it, do it well. Uh, they also do mixed fermentation stuff, which they seem to be more committed to than the other two breweries who started with that, with those things. Uh -huh. And uh, I think that's what one of the, that's, they won their GABF medal in that category. Um, nice. So they're they're kind of committed to that. Oh, and I and they also have this thing called the beer bus. This is another beeronomics thing, which is fascinating. So that before they were a brewery, they converted an old school bus into a pub, and they would. Uh, Joe was telling me about this that they they saw this opportunity peop, uh, where where there were events, um, and the, it was legal to serve beer at them. So they saw this opportunity to to, to drive the beer bus around to different events all over Oklahoma. Ah. And they right. originally were doing kind of the Oklahoma beer evangelical thing. So they would get beer <laughs> other breweries and, you know, talk about it. But this was before that law change. So it was like they were regulated loosely under like the agricultural department or some weird thing. And then right. when, when the uh, when the laws shifted, they got moved over under the jurisdiction of the of able, which uh, is R O L C C the, the liquor commission. Right. And they just sort of grandfathered it in. Like you can continue to do this. And I don't, I don't know that you could drive a truck or uh, drive a school bus around most places and just like pull up to a farmer's market or a fair or a concert and start pouring beer. Um, but they can't. Right. So <laughs> nice. now they serve the big friendly beer out of that. Uh, and they still wow, have that's great. the beer bus, which is, it is pretty cool. It's a little, it's a really cool pub inside the bus too. I would like. So it. did the, 
Did I the bus start there. before the brewery or just when they were starting the brewery, they didn't want to have enough beer. So they just put in a whole bunch of other people's beer. No, they, they, it started as a completely separate business. And then later gotcha. they, added, they decided to do a brewery. Um, gotcha. It's called the oh, beer. That's cool. The big friendly, by the way, I, I learned is the name is the nickname of Oklahoma city. So, ah, yeah, big friendly. I like that. <laughs> it's true. You got that's the big cool. easy. You got the big friendly. All right. Well, I, I don't need to say too much more, but I do want to, I really want to give a special shout out to a, a place called sacred and profane, which I did not, was not able to visit their tap room. Um, but, uh, there's a local, uh, um, exceptional, um, bakery right nearby where we stay called Tinder hearth, um, that does pizza nights and they have a very carefully curated tap list there. Um, and you can tell because one of the things they had actually it wasn't on tap it was in a can, but was sacred and profane sacred and profane makes two beers they make a light lager uh i think they call pale lager and they make dark <laughs> uh and it's um czech uh czech style lager they had dark at the um uh, at tinder hearth and so i had um a dark and it was exceptional it was it's a four percent beer it's um, oh, wow. full of roast malt character it's extremely well balanced um uh very uh, uh, drinkable, um, extremely clean, just, just an excellent, excellent beer. I really, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm not the biggest dark lager enthusiast. Um, but I thought, you know, this is a beer I could drink a ton of. It's, um, it was, it was really good. I would, I would love to taste their light, but, um, uh, but do two beers and do them exceptionally well seems to be what they're doing right now. And, and that's great. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's uh, Brienne Allen uh, mm -hmm. is, is the brewer and founder, and she was at Notch uh, and wanted to do her own thing and wanted to only do loggers and not be distracted the way that Notch had gotten distracted by making every now and again uh, a hoppy ale. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's funny. Right. Notch is also considered one of the most traditional places in the country, but um, but she was she was dis excited to do her own thing. So I think I, I'm really I I definitely want to go there uh, when I'm in Maine this this uh, uh, over Thanksgiving and I want to go to the pub because I assume or the place the tap room wherever wherever you can go because I you know I assume it's going to be uh, a lucre experience with the side tap pours and um, I'm 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 excited to see what she's got going on there. Yeah, they call it a tank pub, and and I was really sad not to. It, it's it was pretty far. I was in Brunswick as far, which is as far south as I got, and it's on the other side of Portland, so it would be about another hour drive. Um, mm. And I um I tested the patience of my non beer drinking wife and my son um, enough. So, uh, but right. they call it a tank a tank pub, and pictures of it are incredible. It's as far as I can tell, sort of above the bar, they've got these um uh, these small tanks that are horizontal, and I think they're gravity. They, they gravity feed the, the taps. Um, uh, and I don't know if they're copper, but they're copper colored. It looks, looks really, it looks really um, uh, like, a, like a, a beautiful place to visit. So um, based on the beer I had, I would definitely make a special trip to go there. Awesome. Yeah, tank beer is a thing in, in uh, uh, Czech. So um, instead of packaging in smaller packages, uh, I think they, they spund it and put it in a tank. It's sort of like Cascale. Uh, and send mm -hmm. them out to the pub. Um, it's a relatively recent thing they started doing in the Czech Republic. I, I assume this is related to that. Yeah, well, I would I would uh, encourage people to check out their um, um, their website sacredprofane.com because they have some really <laughs> they have some really nice uh, uh, pictures of the 
um, uh, of the pub. Cool. All right. I have one. So, uh, oh, go ahead. I was, I have one last one to do. And then, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this, this was the, the kind of showstopper for me. I've, I've, I'm building up to the best, uh, experience I had, which was, um, in Oklahoma city. And I was excited to go to this place because, uh, the owner is the chairman of the Iowa tribe, uh, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma has many native, uh, tribes, uh, something like 13% of the population are native. Um, and I think an even larger number identify as native. Uh, so it's, it's a big, it's a big thing there. And, um, the Iowa tribe came from the Hawkeye state originally, which is why their name is Iowa. Uh Um, and Jake keys, uh, had been working in casinos, uh, and, but always was, had an interest in beer. He and his father had talked about opening a brewery. Um, and then eventually he finally decided to do it. There was, there was an incubator in, uh, Oklahoma city that helped a bunch of breweries get started and they helped Jake get started. So all of that was super cool. And I wanted to, uh, meet Jake just because, you know, a native, uh, brewer, uh, seems yeah. super cool in Oklahoma. Um, he has a Pilsner called Res Dog, which connects to one of my favorite, uh, TV shows, Hulu's Reservation Dogs, uh, which is mm-hmm. set, is set in and filmed in Oklahoma, Native Americans nice. in Oklahoma. And I assumed that Res Dog was a reference to that. Jake later said, no, 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 Res, Res, Res Dogs are a thing on most reservations and everybody knows about Res Dogs. And I named this beer before uh, that that show came out, um, which is also pretty cool. But that. the reason uh, I want to bring attention to the brewery is because they were making just tremendous IPAs. Jake is a real auteur of hops and uh he he his beers just blew me away if you plopped though if you plopped isn't i'm sorry the brewery's name is skydance i should have mentioned that yeah i was about to (laughs) interject uh if you plopped skydance down in portland oregon it would instantly be one of the buzz breweries uh in the city and people would be demanding that everybody go there and drink the ipas because they're just that good um and he I, they're a cool IPA too. Uh, they're kind of, you know, they express, I think, Jake's voice more than they adhere to a particular tradition of East Coast, West Coast. He has some mm-hmm. that he calls hazies and, or, or uh, yeah, I think he calls them hazies. Some he calls West Coast. Um, but his hazies are not that hazy. They're sort of uh, or, old school Oregon hazy, you know, like uh, not opaque, not orange juice. Mm-hmm. And his West Coasts are not always perfectly clear. Um, and when I think back on the experience, we tried four of his IPAs that he had on tap. I have a hard time remembering which ones were called hazy and which ones weren't because they fall <laughs> this this beautiful middle ground of um, uh, just having his character, which is uh, he goes for a really beautiful kind of approachable tropicality he loves tropical stuff and he's a real hop nerd so he's got a, a beer called superdelic which has a new zealand hop i had not heard of superdelic are you aware of that no i'm not yeah it's uh, another new zealand hop for you to look at look look for because you love the new zealands mm-hmm. um 
And he had a couple of experimental hops he was working with. So he, he really loves hop varieties and he experiments a lot with them. He doesn't really do anything tricky with his beers. He doesn't use hop products or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but he gets this perfect amount of tropicality out of the beer without going over the top. And he also doesn't pull all of the, a lot of those other flavors that sometimes make IPAs unpleasant, like that, the, the, the planty vegetal quality or yeah. hop burn, any of that stuff. It's not yeah. in the beers. They're really, they're really just perfectly approachable. Um, and the, the mouth, he does something to get a, a really interesting mouthfeel, uh, which is something uh. that uh, lingers in my memory as well. It's a, a kind of silkiness. It's not a fullness. It's not thick. Uh, but it's very, it was very just smooth and silky, like cream or something. Uh, and again, West Coast, East Coast, they, all, all of them, it was present in all of them, which when you combine that with this lovely tropicality and approachability, it's like, oh man, these things are fun and easy to knock down. So I was incredibly impressed with these beers. And, um, you know, I didn't expect to find somebody making beers that accomplished, uh, and that that kind of on or ahead of trend, you know, like it, yeah. uh, we went to other breweries where they were making IPAs that were sort of behind trend. And, right. and Jake actually even said at one point, uh, Oklahoma is always behind everybody else. Um, but yeah. he's not. He's right. He's right there. So that was a fun <laughs> brewery. And, and it really kind of blew my mind. Sounds great. Well, we're kind of running out of time, so I'll just really quickly run through a couple other things that I saw in Maine. One was Light Deck Brewing in Brunswick, Maine. Brunswick has, a, a, if I get the details wrong, forgive me, Mainers, but what I understand is that uh, Brunswick had a naval air station that was decommissioned. Flight Deck is in one of the supporting buildings of the naval air station, so an old, not big, it's not a hangar, but some kind of old building. And they have a giant, a big lawn. They had live music when I was there and it just, this was a Friday evening and it was just like uh, clearly like a Brunswick spot where like the whole community comes out. It's not a big town. Um, and uh, they had this wood fire pizza place that's adjacent sort of sharing the spot. You could order the pizzas at the bar. Anyway, beer was good. I had a Kolsch that was really, really nice. Um, pizza was excellent. According to my son, I didn't have any, but he ordered one because he was starving after his soccer camp. Uh, so that was one thing um, I recommend. Flight Tech in Brunswick. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'd never even uh, heard of that one. Yeah, I hadn't either. It was my um, it was my colleague who works there, lives there now, um, who uh, recommended it. And he said this is kind of the spot for the for the Brunswick folks to come out. And said, "You see, you see everyone here," um, and I believe it. Kids all running around, music playing. It was really really delightful. Um, doesn't sound doesn't sound the best because you're on an old naval air, you know at an old airport. So I was a little skeptical at first, but actually it's a really lovely spot. They got some trees and, um, and uh, a lawn and yeah, it just was, it was nice. So that was one, uh, I think um, people at the pod know that uh, we've mentioned the past Bissell Brothers from Portland. I didn't go there, but their beer is really, I think they've got the, they've dialed in the New England IPA beautifully. Um, it's beautifully balanced, super. Um, I've had a couple of their beers here and same old, kind of in, in that in that vein different different versions but um very nice and then there's um uh, a local brewery in ellsworth here that i've tried out for the first time again i didn't go there but i tried the beer called fog town and i have this uh um this uh beer of theirs they call main coast ipa which which is kind of a little bit crazy it's uh it's super murky it's a big uh a hazy ipa um it's thick it's heavy it's very bitter 
Um, but uh, for a place called Fogtown, it just seemed perfect. It was the perfect beer for a, a rainy, foggy day that um, was the first few days I was here. So uh, it really it was one of those beers that cut through everything. Um, uh, maybe not quite as refined as Bissell Brothers, but um, um, but a nice local one here. Right. Yeah. Sometimes a, a beer doesn't have to be uh, the the most like world classic beer to just be the best beer uh, for the moment in the place. And that sounds like that's what that it was. Yeah. I always try to find sort of evidence of a place um, in, in especially these smaller local beers. And uh, this to me sort of suggested, you know, it's a brewery called Fogtown. It's in a place that gets a lot of, a lot of uh, wet, foggy, cold weather. And this just seemed like the perfect beer for that. So. Very good. Well, we, uh, we have, I think we've, we've, We've done our work here. Uh, I will yes. add that if you want to read a little bit more, I've, I have been blogging about this. So I have a, a post about Jake at uh, Skydance and um, I give a, an overview of Oklahoma and mention some of the other breweries uh, I visited nice. there. So if you want to check that out, uh, you can go to Mocha Log. Um, and I've and been you... posting a few pictures from Maine on, uh, on you Instagram. Have. So Good have a look. You can see uh, the, the Fogtown beer that have I, of, of which I speak, I think I posted it on there. <laughs> in all its um uh milkshakey wonderfulness awesome um, uh, yeah so keep looking at that and we have we do have one mailbag which i do want to touch on because i have a question it raises a question that i want to throw out to the listeners so all right why don't you go ahead and read it gotta pull it out here okay here we go it comes from ryan matsunaga uh who is in the bay area and i hope i got kind of close on your name ryan um i did my best uh he writes ryan writes i was wondering if you and patrick could do a show on the nuances of tasting beer i've been trying in to intentionally taste beers while reading reviews on beer advocate as guides but i always have a hard time distinguishing the flavors and coming up with my own descriptions from scratch i'm never really sure if i'm tasting flavors like grassy herbal or biscuit of course there's also the aroma that goes uh, in hand a show that walks through the strategies tastes and tips and identifying aromas and tastes would be really helpful I greatly enjoyed the beer uh, I drank, and I just want to have a higher appreciation for it. So uh, there's one more piece, but um, I'll pause here to say that sounds like a great idea. Uh, yeah, we have done a little bit of that in our when we do our big tastes off. And in fact, I keep learning when our last taste off was macro lagers, which you know you have to be pretty, you have to really focus to to get the nuances. Although it's not as hard as you think when you get a whole bunch of them lined up. But uh, when we were Alan Taylor from um, Zoigo House there, uh, I learned a few new tips uh, from him. So I'm constantly learning. And I also struggle, Ryan, to come up with the right words. Uh, uh, a lot of that's just experience. You start, you start noticing the same little flavors in, in, in beer. But yeah, I think that would be a great, great pod just to focus on that. All right. Well, we'll throw that in the hopper as a as a future pod and then and by the way if it, if it helps uh, a super sophisticated uh experienced guy like um uh um uh, alan taylor had a had a booklet uh, had a cheat sheet of of sort of typical flavors you get from tip, different compounds and beer so, <laughs> so to, to make you feel better even the experts have have guides that's right it's helpful yeah yeah, uh, And then Ryan adds this. On another note, I missed the audio blog. I'm not sure uh, if you'd bring it back, but it'd be easier for me and probably many others to keep up with. So on my on my uh, blog, I used to, or I, I experimented with reading the text so that people could listen to it uh, when they come to the website. 
but the only way I could really pull that off was to use our SoundCloud uh, account, which meant that it was going if people uh, for people who were just subscribed to the uh, podcast and maybe were mm. not readers of the blog. I felt like maybe I was uh, putting stinking the, up there. Yeah, <laughs> stinking up their pod feet. Exactly. So I'm uh, curious, listeners out there, uh, do you want the audio blog back or? Am I correct in thinking that some of you will find it overwhelming to have too many audio blogs clogging up your feed? Um, what what would you like? Um, if you could let me know uh, on any medium, um, and you don't necessarily have to do it for attribution. Uh, we don't necessarily put it in the mailbag unless you want it. Uh, but it would be great for me to get some feedback and find out whether I should be doing that or not. So let me know. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, we should probably wrap this up. So. Um... Uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com. You can answer Jeff's query about the audio blog. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at beervanablog um, or at Instagram at beer. Oh, sorry, not at beervanablog, at beervanapod. Yes. on Twitter and Instagram. And I've been, we've got some nice uh, pictures from Maine and from Oklahoma at the Beervana Pod Instagram. So go check it out. Jeff, of course, blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick uh, tweets at Beernomics and also at the Beervana Pod, uh, which uh, on- Yeah, I'm, I'm spending more time focusing on the Instagram. So I'm yeah, get with the- if you don't follow us there, it is actually not looking terrible these days. It's not like five months go by before any of us post. So um, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I think eventually I'll just basically do any any kind of baronomic stuff. I'll just just do it on the on the, the Insta. So yeah, I think. All right, uh, we have nothing to cheers. It's early morning for you. It is it's now mid. It's now midday for me, but I am not yet drinking beer. So I'll just say uh, cheers from Maine. All right, cheers from. Portland, Oregon, and uh, by by extension, uh, Oklahoma. That's right. All right. Bye, Jeff. Bye, everyone. Okie dokie.